Hello and welcome to my new podcast, Chats with Chapter One, brought to you by Chapter One Consultancy and your host, it's me, Tommy McNee. I have been a big podcast listener for many years now, on my daily walks and commutes around town. There's only so much Nick Grimshaw I can take. I've always thought about doing my own podcast, although procrastination seemed to win. During lockdown, I finally won the battle with my mind and found the time to rewrite my life. Chapter by chapter, this is chapter one, the podcast. You will find a new episode every week, so please like, rate, subscribe and leave a review. I should warn you, if you don't leave five stars, then I have a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you leave me five stars now, that will be the end of it. Now, let's dive into the podcast. Hello, friends. This week's episode is with Mr. Michael Field. Michael is someone I've followed for a while now. Um, he is what I would call a serial entrepreneur, having started um, his own company, Workflow, which is a market leader in print and document management, then branching out to one of West Lothian's finest semi-private personal training gyms. Um, having been working with a personal trainer himself, Michael spotted what is probably known as a gap in the market higher service level as subsequently set about opening um, Victory Bespoke Fitness, which is a gym you can find in West Lothian. Further to that, Michael has now made some shrewd acquisitions in terms of growing workflow um, into the huge end it is now. We then move on to some of Michael's more charitable work um, in particular on lockdown. Um, I was following a lot of what Michael was doing, you know, with when business was slow. He was really putting a lot of time and effort into real good charitable bits. Um, We chat about life, about everything in between, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So let's t- tell me, how, how did this all come about, mate? I've been following it, obviously, online, aside from what you're doing down in uh, down at Guardian. Yeah, I mean, really, it was a, a lockdown thing. I, I've listened to podcasts for probably two to three years now. Um, you know, I just get so fed up with the radio. A lot of what I do for Guardian is, is kind of field sales or, or you know, field survey-based. So I'm in the car on my own. Not a lot of company, you know, sick of listening to the same songs on repeat. So I started picking up podcasts and, and just started, you know, got my favourite ones. You know, I, I knew when they were coming out. I was looking forward to them. And then I thought, surely it can't be that hard to, to have a podcast. Started digging into a little bit of a, a network. So I, I know someone that, that's got one who had me on recently. So I asked him for a couple of tips. He said, oh, there's a, a free platform. You don't need to pay to get started and all that. When lockdown came, I, I was placed on furlough, and I was on and off furlough, and I was like, I need something to get, you know, get my teeth into. I've got, you know, nothing really to do. I'm not allowed to do anything, you know. I would love yeah. to be able to throw my weight behind guarding and see, but you no, know, but the director was doing that. So, 
just started putting feelers out. Saying, I wonder if anybody would talk to me. You know, not a lot of people know who I am. I, I can't just keep myself to myself, you know, quiet family man. But I thought, I wonder if I just ask people. And then people started coming back saying, yeah, sounds great. And I was trying to say, I know, but just to make you aware, you know, I've not got an audience of like 10,000 people who are going to listen to it. And, you know, you might get some promotion out of it, but I want to be honest and transparent and say, you might not as well. But folk were like, no, I'd love to help and all that. It's just kind of grew arms and legs from there. Wow. Do, do you know, but that's how these things, that's how these things start. And actually, given the fact that you enjoy engaging with them and listening to them, you're probably subconscious, you know, able to roll out it and, and get straight into it simply because you've been listening to it for so long. Um, subconsciously, it'll be embedded in you there somewhere. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's funny you say that. I had a, a lady on who, who owns a company called The Art of Communication, um, and she, she's there, 30 years an ex-police and hostage negotiator, believe it or not. And she had said that, she's like, you know, you've got fantastic interview skills. And, and I'm thinking, I'm just a removal man that's, that's you know, worked his way up. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're, we're all blagging it in life, mate. Take it. If you're getting compliments like that, take them all day long. <laughs> so so how are you? are you? Are you busy at the moment? Um, it, it, it's, been a, it's been an odd old time for the world, hasn't it? We... Um, when, when this all started, I seen lockdown coming. I was speaking to a lot of people who, who were, <laughs> I don't know if they were naive or just didn't want to see the fact that lockdown was coming. Um, you know, and I seen it coming, but if I'm honest, I thought 12 weeks. I put initially put a 12 week plan in place, uh -huh. hoping that actually some sort of normality could, could come at the end of six weeks. I knew that was probably hopeful, you know, at best, naive at worst. I, I, was, I was budgeting for 12 weeks. Um, did I see it carrying on into what's about to be month six? No, I didn't. Um, has it caused us operational issues? Yes, it has. Um, I've always been very conservative with the way I've spent the money we've made in the company. Yeah. And we're getting a really strong balance sheet, most of which is cash, actually. And I'm consistently told by accountants and, you know, so-called advisors, look, you need to be using this smarter and investing it and getting something where you're locking it in and getting a reasonable return. And I see all the benefits to that. But I've... I've since I started, I've had in my head that no matter what happens and whether or not I earn, all of my staff will get paid what they are due at the end of every month. Um, and that, that will never change. I've been steadfast on that. So, I've, you know, I've always had this underlying necessity to, to, to keep money in the business. For, for whatever reason, it's coming really handy now. No, nobody's seen this coming. You know, it, it wasn't sitting aside for a global pandemic. I, I'll no pretend I was, you know, I, I foreseen that coming. Um, but it gave us some time. You know, I, I was able to, the, the people who are furloughed, I was fortunate that I could top up their furlough to 100% of their basic. Yes, they were impacted on some of the, the, the other benefits, allowances for, for vehicle use and fuel and commissions and, and whatnot. But actually, they were, they were able to live, and I was able to do that without it impacting us in a, in a, in a 
negative monetary way that I couldn't support. So I was able to support that, which was, which was very good. Gave me a lot of time to think. Gave me a lot of time to do things that I'd always meant to get round to. You know, things that were on the agenda, things that were on the to-do list, things that were positive for the business, but I was never able to quite get there because running the business always took priority over these things. Yeah. So I managed to get them done. Um, and, you know, it was, it was nice to sit at, my, sit at my laptop or sit at my surface working on, on things without my attention being taken from other emails, etc., coming in. Yeah, and I think, you know, the position you're in as well, I, I speak with a, a lot of people who are, you know, entrepreneurs, company owners, and it's often the case that, you know, when the fires start going and you're the one running having to put all the fires out, and you're right, you tend to forget about the to-do list or, or the things that you would, you know, love to get done or the things that just tend to get put in the back burner all the time because you're firefighting, it might be opera operationally, as you say, or it might just be day-to-day -day stuff, you know, or, or even covering for sickness at times. And then, you know, someone always said to me, once you're on the medical round, you, you've got to be brave enough just to jump off and, and let someone else go round and round for you while you can take care of all these things. And I think the lockdowns, you know, I mean, it's been an absolute nightmare, hasn't it, let's be honest. But if you can take the positives from it for things like that, I think it's fantastic. And you know, and, and I don't think it's even that you you know you're spending all your time firefighting. Although I'd be lying if I said there wasn't an element of that. I think you're just so actively engaged with the day to day operation of the business and your interaction with clients and staff that there, there's always something there's always something happening that takes takes your attention, and it's very difficult to sit with a clear head and do things like designing brochures, you know, providing details of updates that you'd like to see on your website, you know, providing your designers and your, your web guys, you know, and, and the, the guys running your Google ads, details of what you feel we should be spending that per click, you know, cash on. Um, and, and when you sit down and you do all of these things, there's actually a real feeling of, uh, of achievement. When, when they've been sitting there and you've known you've wanted to do them, you've never got quite around to it and you've done it. But that, that became, you know, when I'd done all of that, it took me probably four weeks to, to, you know, to really get through everything I talked to. But at the end of that, you start thinking, I just want some normality now. You know, I want these emails coming in. I want to be engaged with staff. I want to be in the office. I want to be discussing, you know, what plans we have and services we're offering, not only to our clients, but to new new business opportunity. And yeah, I, listen, that was good for a bit of time, mate, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see things are starting to, starting to happen again. Um, yeah, likewise. And, I, you know, I think that'll probably only accelerate. Um, you were going to have some spikes and it's inevitable. Um, I think we all know why when we see the lights of, you know, the news with the guys down south when the pubs first opened and sitting on each other's knees, essentially, with, with no distancing and no mitigation. And, yeah, just, just some, some craziness. Yeah, um, you're right. Just such questionable behaviour, you know. It's, it's going back to the whole thing of, you know, give some people an inch and, and they're just taking a mile and then some. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, it, you know, it, it comes down, and it, it, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed 
to say it, it comes down to common sense. Most of what we are being asked to do, or most of what we have to do to manage this and keep the economy open and keep people trading and, you know, and, and keep offices and retail shops and hospitality open, comes down to common sense. You know, keep, keep a two metre distance. Um, if you can, make sure it's a metre, wear face coverings. You know, if, you, if you're unwell, don't go out. Um, and, and keep your hygiene up. I, I, I find it incredible that the government are having to tell grown adults to wash their hands. I mean, genuinely. I mean, were they never doing it before? Is this a new concept to them? Yeah, um, but it's but scary, are, isn't it? Okay, it, it is. And I think it's shown me just how varied the, the, uh, the public are. Because some of, I, some of what I now know people do or don't do, I would never have believed before. Um, but yeah, listen, I'm, we're, we're bringing people back, mate. We've got Cora guys back, the, the, the sales and account guys we've got back on a, on a two-day week at the moment with a view to testing the market, see what opportunities there, um, see what sort of engagement that they're getting from clients and you know whether it's worth them being in more than anything um, for their sake as well as ours we we've got 50% of our technical team back um, they're all on flexible furlough I'm, I'm currently working on, on, on trying to rotate the technical staff we have um, because I want to, to actually keep them engaged with, with what's happening in the business where we are, where we are to let them see their colleagues to let them see the faces of the people they worked with for the last five, six, seven years. So I'm trying to rotate it all the time, making sure that we're, we're using the furlough support that's there in an intelligent way, and in a, in a fair way, in one where our credibility is intact. Because there's too many people out there who are, who are just grabbing what they can from the furlough scheme. Um, with the full intention that they'll, they'll make redundancies when it gets to a stage where they've got to top up the 60% up to the 18, the national insurance. Yeah. Um, you know, we have used it. It has been an absolute godsend to us. But I'm conscious that, firstly, I would never abuse it, but actually I want to minimise where and why we have to use it so that it can be better used in other places. Yeah. We're fortunate that as, as a business where we see recurring revenue through contracts. You know, we, we, we do still have a level of income, even through lockdown. You know, we've got, we've got lease contracts which have an element of maintenance which is paid back quarterly from the leasing company. So in, in April, you know, the, the restrictions were so new that we got probably 95% of what that payment would have been anyway. So that gave us a good bit of cash flow and, and leveraged, you know, some funds at the front end to support us coming through July when the next quarterly payment was due. That was a different story. You know, that 90% was probably nearer 55 um, for various reasons, including authorised deferrals. So there was a lot of discussions taking place, both at least co-level and at workflow level to arrange deferrals to support clients. Um, some of the, the, the clients who I've spoken to directly, we've been able to revise agreements to, 
um, you know, where, where workflow have been able to cover a period of the, the contract they're in, the lease payments, etc., to support them trading through it and to allow them to better use cash, you know, similar to what we are in terms of supporting the, 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 the customers have got. Um, but I'm not defeatist by it, mate. I've, 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 you know, I've been asked to do a few editorials lately for different publications in different sectors. And the one thing I've been steadfast on is that we need to come out of this actively engaging in trade. You know, we, we need to go out and, and spend money with each other. Yeah. We need to be paying for, for services. We need to be using local, you know, UK-based suppliers. We need to be bringing back manufacturing. You know, we've got, listen, we've got some fantastic talent in the UK. We should be using it. You know, we shouldn't be shipping everything out to, to the Far East. And I think that, I think what this is showing, as you know, aside from the fact that actually it it, it, it bred from China, I think it's showing a rover reliance on, on Chinese production of things because when we needed something quickly, i.e. the PPE, we weren't able to get it because it was being produced in a country that also needed that PPE. And of course, they, they looked after the home market first. So... Um, I, th I think, you know, the whole economy has to come out and, and, and proactively trade um, as, as, as much as they can, because that's the way we're all going get, to get through this. Yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree. I was probably just a, a little tad dumb, you know, when, when the banks crashed in kind of 07, 08. But yeah, you know, if I spend a tenner and you spend a tenner and the next guy spends a tenner, you know, we can hopefully come out of this recession with, you know, businesses intact as much as possible, with as little redundancy as possible. And just, you know, it doesn't have to be absolutely rapid, but, you know, a lot quicker than what happened all those years ago. And you're so right in what you're saying. I mean, even kind of pharmaceutical companies, our reliance on China for making things like antibiotics and everything. And so much of that can be done back here to, to employ more people and, and bring more jobs. You know, there's such huge job loss with people with like, you know, Marks and Spencer and, and some real big hitters, a lot in the hospitality and retail space, of course. But we can take those people, you know, and maybe pivot them a little bit, maybe career-wise into manufacturing, into pharmacy, all of that stuff, and have it all here essentially in-house. I mean, how much better a place is it going to be? We have such a depth of talent in the UK, and you've only got to look back at some of you know some of the inventions over over history that that, that have come out of the UK. We we need to be leaning on it now. We need to be utilising it. We need to be you know we, we need to be. It, it's cliche in the whole time. You know everybody said we're all in this together, and it's taken this global pandemic for people to actually say we're all in this together. Business in general, the UK economy means we are all in this together. So let's invest in each other's services. You know, the products, let's work with each other to drive improvements across each of our respective businesses. You know, we, we you, you spoke there about the crash in 07, 08. I, I started Workflow mid-2007, just as things started to crash. And I get asked all the time, you know, why did you start then? Well, firstly, I didn't know it was coming. And secondly, I was, I was quite young and naive and very confident, as most 26-year-olds are. And actually, if I'd been told it was coming, it probably wouldn't have stopped me anyway. But actually, what it bred was opportunity. Um, because the market opened up. 
you know, people started to look at how can we drive improvements in our, our business which will deliver cost efficiencies? You know, are, are we actually, are we receiving the value that we think we are from incumbent suppliers? You know, historically, they would have assumed they were. You know, I've got business to be doing. I've got things to get on with. You know, we've dealt with X or Y for said number of years. We know we're getting a good deal. And suddenly these people went out and said, well, actually, do you know what? You know, it's due diligence for us trading through this. Are we actually getting a good deal? So conversations opened that wouldn't have been there in, in 2005, 2006. And, you know, if, if, if you've got the right offering, that the potential client then sees the benefit that your organization brings to their business, the improvements that they're able to then press out to their clients, and, and, and this, the, you know, the whole circle completes in terms of what the offering is. So we, we, we've, rather than, than cut back, make redundancies, find ways of dropping our, our overhead, I've looked to technology to try and increase the offering that we now have to our clients. We've expanded numbers through lockdown by seven. So we've gone through lockdown from 23 to 30. Um, some extremely high caliber guys that probably became available because of lockdown and conversations were had that pre-March would never have been had. But I'm determined to come out of the back end of this like I did in 2007 with an offering which delivers value that a client hasn't got for whatever reason and an infrastructure that supports innovation and technologies uh, and provides a, a bona fide, genuine you know, offering to a client that's going to improve their business. And if we can do that, it kickstarts everything you and I have spoken about because, you know, why wouldn't we engage in trade if actually we've got something which is going to improve your business? Um, so, so, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for coming out the other end of this and I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of fellow business owners, you know, across the UK, Scotland in particular, are able to grab, you know, what's there and actually see this as the opportunity that, that it can be. Um, which is to work together and, and keep this mentality of it, we're all in it together. Because it's not, you know, it shouldn't just be there. It shouldn't take this for people to realise that actually, you know, we're, we're one society and we should be looking after each other and working with each other and supporting each other. Fantastic. What, what, a, what a such a, a lovely, positive attitude and, and, you know, great mindset to have because I, I, I've seen seen it from both ends, you know, I, I see quite a lot of positivity, I see people, you know, starting businesses a little bit like what I've done, um, I've got a, a kind of friend who's, who's started a, a t-shirt business, um, because again, just started looking at, at printing and, and little designs, and you know, I've never done anything like that, but just essentially a hobby to keep busy because you're, you're locked in the house for 20 hours a day, but it's so refreshing to hear you speak that way, to, you know, to have the positivity of essentially Going a company when everyone else is downsizing or, or at least considering, you know, reducing overhead, you're almost increasing yours with, with extra salaries. But hopefully those people and, and those attitudes and, and what they bring to you and your company will you know, really kind of manifest themselves into something great over the next maybe six to 12 months. 
Well, I, t- I tell you what, your, your pal's only got to look at Ben Francis at Gymshark if he wants a success story to spur him on. That, that uh, is incredible, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. And you know what? Eight years, and I was listening strangely to a podcast earlier, just just a snippet of it on YouTube, and and he like you know, and it, listen, the scale's entirely different. But somebody he said, I'd love to be able to sit and say I had a master plan, that I had this great plan, and I knew this was going to take off. He said, like you, he actually couldn't find clothing which fitted him well for training in the gym, and his grand taught him how to sew with a sewing machine. So we started to actually adjust the garments and, and produce them to such a way that fitted him as a gym goer. Um, he'd done a bit of, I think it was digital design work, business work at university, pulled it all together, started pressing these t-shirts. Fast forward eight years and he's been valued at a billion pounds, you know, when he took a 21% share or whatever it is that Atlantic took. So um, slightly different scale, but it actually just shows that if, if, if you've got the right product or the right service, regardless of time, and you deliver it correctly to the customer, you know, with a value proposition behind it, there's nothing to stop you. Nothing can hold you back. The times can't hold you back. Um, you know, I, I, we, we put a business plan together and worked for about 18 months ago. We, we, we said we want to position ourselves away from the rest of the generic print market. And there's actually some very good suppliers in the print market. We didn't move away because we thought, you know, there's nobody out there doing a good job because we are, and, and there are some others, not all, but there's certainly some good other ones. But what I seen was a really fragmented managed service market. So you had some, some very good managed print providers. You had some very good managed IT providers. You had some very good telecoms providers. You had some very good document management, you know, and records management businesses out there. But it was very fragmented, which complicated any, any sort of service provision for the client, because there's always some crossover. You know, who, who do I call for what, and then who do they put me on to, and where's the breakdown in communication? But it, but it stinted value, because each of these businesses was relying on revenue from a single source, rather than a holistic solution across you know, a, a client's whole business. So we set out a business plan that we were going to position ourselves in, in, a, in, in as, a, as a service provider which was unrivaled in Scotland. Um, we went out 18 months ago, we bought Pyramid IT, who were a local um, IT provider in West Lothian, to bolster and to cement a position in that space. January of this year, we purchased TRM, who are a document and records management business. Um, dating back to the 70s, their, their business historically was they held records. They had a big warehouse with lots of boxes full of paperwork. And of course, as the world's progressed and digitized, most of their business now is actually digitization. So they will take legacy records for law firms, um, some of the, 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 the big 100 local councils, public sector, but also SME space, and they'll digitise it. So they'll go out, they'll pick up the records, it'll be brought to our, our, our central uh, production office, and it's digitised, um, it's OCR that becomes indexed and searchable, and then it, it can be you know, provided back in various forms. But what we did is we took that and we sat it on the very front end of what we do, 
So we're now able to start start the process there. So we will we will deal with your legacy records. We will ensure GDPR compliance. We will digitise them so they're actually archived and searchable and indexed and usable. So you know, rather than you having this data, which is isn't really data, it's just a it's just a whole host of paperwork and filing that actually that there's no order or sense to, and we're able to manage that. We can then manage how that client then deals with the, the ongoing production of paperwork and digitization of additional documents. So listen, we, we've now dealt with everything that you've had historically. How do we now support you on a day-to-day -day basis for the operation of your business? And inevitably that leads to a conversation, okay, well listen, we now have all this digital data. We've now managed your workflow through the MFPs and the print and scan services. We really need to be supporting and managing that data and ensuring it's secure, it's backed up, there's disaster recovery in place, your network's secure. And we're able to do that through an IT division. Um, telecoms, we've just, we've not gone out actually to, to market and, and publicised it, but we've just signed um, a very good agreement with um, one of the, the UK's leading cloud telecoms providers. And I've got a couple of really high caliber people I'm really lucky to have coming on to, to, to drive that forward for us. So what we're able to, to do now is, is pull all of these fragmented services back into a fully managed service, which looks at the whole operation of the business holistically. You know, I'm, I'm, how can we drive improvements in your business, which allows you to improve your bottom line ultimately, and perhaps more importantly, improve the service that you give out to the client? And that's why we've, you know, we've done all of this hiring that we've done, even through a time which is unprecedented, like we're in at the moment. You know, we had this plan. We believe in this plan. We think this provides a service that the market deserves. And listen, COVID shouldn't stop that. You know, if, if, if we believe it, we believe it. So we're, we're powering on and coming out the back end of this, numbers will have increased. You know, the, the caliber of staff was high, was, was, was as high as it could be. And it, it's now even higher, so. Fantastic. And th those decisions to, you know, to, to make those, what sound like really shrewd acquisitions, that just because, you know, essentially you've seen the gap in the market and you thought, right, how do I fill this gap? Do I go and hire X, Y, and Z? Or if I acquire A and I acquire B and I add it to what we've got, that, that fills the gap? Because talk me through that process and, and the decision making behind that. The, the, the most recent TRM was quite strategic. Um, Many of the conversations we have as a business now, whether it's myself or any of the other consultants we have, surrounds document management. So, you know, how do we, how do we work with you, firstly, to, to digitise your processes and your workflows, and how can we take what are paper-based and quite labour-intensive processes and make them digital? And the, the stumbling block to me, and, and, and I'll give you the answer that's normally given, the stumbling block to me is, okay, Michael, what do I do with everything I've got? And, and the, the market default is, oh, listen, don't worry about your legacy stuff. Start digitizing today. Digitize everything moving forward. 
and only as and when you need anything from your from your filing cabinets or your records, only then do you pull it out and scan it. And and that to me was about eighty percent of a job, because if a if I'm a client and I'm digitising, I want to be able to digitise fully and I want to be able to utilise all the benefits that brings. And I've got, you know, per perhaps regulatory, you know, storage of seven years worth of documents. Um, a, a, a true document management solution, true digitisation surely has to include all of that. That's where it should start. Everything that you've got, which is in an unstructured basis at the moment, which which you know isn't searchable, it isn't indexed. It's very difficult to 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 gather that information with, with any thought, you know, any sort of speed behind it. To me, is where it should start. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm listen. I'm, I'm I'm a realist. I know what I'm good at. I know what I've got experience in, and I know you know that there's there's people out there doing certain jobs better than than I do or than workflow do. Uh, and we wanted to bring in those expertise, and it just happened. <clears throat> I entered into a conversation with Stephen McPherson, um, not about acquisition, about something else entirely. And you know, we, we spoke about my beliefs in the journey we were taking, and, and actually where I seen, you know, the hurdles in the offering we had with with software alone. Um, and he kind of seen the same thing from a, from the other side of the mirror. So he was saying, well, actually, listen, I get it. We're able to take customers so far. We go in, we clear the legacy paperwork up, we free up their space, we ensure it's secure, they're compliant with GDPR. But that's where we stop and you start. And it, listen, you know, it just made absolute sense. Okay, well, what we do then is we open up that roadblock, we bring you into part of the workflow family, you know, and, and, and we, make that, we, we make that solution you know, a, a, a full solution and a, you know, a, a real smooth path for the client from paper-based, time-consuming, labor-intensive processes to, you know, a really slick, digital, smooth, cost-effective uh, and productive way of doing things. And, and that's where the TRM one came from. Um, Pyramid IT, um, kind of felt the right time. We'd invested a lot in, in the IT service side of the business. And I'll tell you a little when we come to actually about how that came about, because there was a bit of luck involved in, in IT taking off as quickly as it did for us. But Stephen, who owned Pyramid IT, um, loved what he did, but actually his passion lay in programming. He wanted to be a developer rather than you know, a, a sort of external IT manager, so he really wanted to focus on coding. Um, he had been accepted into a programme by Code Clan in Edinburgh, um, but he couldn't jump straight into that as he, as he wanted to, because actually he had to support the clients who'd been loyal to him and the support contracts he had there. So it just made perfect sense. You know, we, we, we purchased the assets of Pyramid IT, we utilised Stephen's, you know, knowledge and expertise and relationships for the period that he was required, but it freed up his time so that he could, you know, fully push ahead with the with his with his coding and his development training, which seems to be working very well for him. So couldn't be happier. Um, and that that's where they came from. So it, it's 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 all to me. It's always about bringing in expertise knowledge 
and ability that perhaps you, you don't have in-house and perhaps which would be very difficult to hire. Um, and that's when we start to look at acquisition. You know, who, who are the best at doing what we are trying to do as part of our overall solution? Um, and TRM, TRM were the best at it. We brought them in, Tommy. So. Brilliant, fantastic. And, and just logistically on that, you know, but when you then hold all that, you know, old kind of legacy data, and as you say, you know, you've got seven years for, for HMRC and, and tax records and things, so I imagine, you know, some people will have thousands upon thousands of boxes um, that, you know, that might be in records management storage, for instance. Or do you then have a kind of a monthly fee or a chargeable fee as a business to hold that kind of data digitally and then supply it as and when they need it? Is that, is that how it works as a business model? It's, no, it varies slightly from that. So some of the business is actually still data storage physical data storage so you walk into our facility in, in paisley which is where all our operational um staff are for trm and for the document management side of the business and there are still about a thousand fifteen hundred boxes of paperwork sitting there that I, it is billed at a nominal fee on a monthly basis so it sits there at a set monthly fee and there's a retrieval fee should they wish a particular document to be retrieved. That's where the higher cost is. Um, up until GDPR became uh, mandatory in May 18, I think it was, they were storing about 12,000 boxes. That's now down to 1,500 because when GDPR hit, everybody then looked at their legacy documentation and realised most of what they had, they didn't actually need. Um, and they started to implement, you know, retention periods that made sense. So, you know, those numbers dropped significantly. Most of what TRM as a business were doing, even pre-acquisition, and are certainly doing now, is digitising data. So they will go to the client site, they'll, they'll uplift, listen, there's still a physical element to the job, they'll go to site, they'll uplift all the boxes. They're brought back to central processing, where they are prepped, so you know they'll remove staples, paper clips, rubber band. You know they'll they'll, they'll prepare the documentation into you know a, a state where it can be scanned. The data is all then scanned into a digital form, a searchable digital form which is indexed and structured, uh, and then it's made back, uh, available back to the client in various ways. Believe it or not, a, a, the favoured way is still CD. So clients generally still favour CD, which I would never have guessed. It you know can be provided back in in secure USB form. Yeah, my preferred method and certainly one which is picking up pace and will be probably the only way it's done is through cloud. So we've got a whole cloud hosted platform on an Azure platform where actually we securely store the data for the client to download. Or yeah. alternatively, we can store it and actually in a, in, a, in a secure platform that they can access to at any stage that, that they wish to. And that's where the, we, we earn a fee. So there's a fee for digitizing that data and there's a fee for them providing that back to the client in the format for which they wish it to be returned. Um, 
that takes us on to the final stage, which is secure destruction of the original paperwork, uh, which can be certified so that they're able to show uh, that they have met their obligations and their burdens of law to, to protect that data and to ensure that it's destroyed uh, in, a, in a method which can be certified. Fantastic. I mean, it really, I'm fascinated by technology and, and even things like that. You know, I think it's fascinating how quickly the, the world has moved and, and is still moving and, and will continue to move. And to be a, a market leader, you know, and I mean, I say market leader, but just from speaking with you as well, it sounds like you have real leadership quality. You know, if, if we take it all the way back to, you know, your staff will be paid before you, you know, and you're steadfast in that. And you have, you know, high-end financial advisor, accountants, you know, you could invest here, you could do that, and you said, no, I want the cash flow in the business because, you know, my ethics and my beliefs are that of a leader, and I want to make sure my team are looked after. It all kind of comes together in one big picture, doesn't it? I think, you know, people have conversations around this, this all the time. The, the way I see it is, if I was an employee and I was doing my job and I was doing my job to the best of my ability, whether that be meeting targets or exceeding them, then I'd expect to be paid. And I'd expect to be paid what I was due, when I was due it, and I'd expect you know, a level of respect from an employer which reflected the value that I brought the job I did. And I, I, you know what, now being on the other side, I'm doing no more than providing what I'd expect. Yeah, uh, but the, the guys I have working for me, I'm extremely lucky to have. They're very talented. They're very driven. They're very passionate about the business. Many of them have been in businesses previously where they haven't had the level of respect that they now get, and their talent wasn't recognised. Now you know as it now is, um, and they come in. They work hard. They they they. Every decision they make it is made with the best intentions, you know, of workflow first and foremost. And they, they deserve to be remunerated, paid, looked after, cared for, for, for doing so. Um, and it, it's just been something that I've always worked to look after people how I would expect to be looked after. And, it, and it, it's a really simple formula when you think about it but actually people appreciate it you know I've, I've got people who care about workflow every bit as much as I do care about our clients every bit as much as I do um, and who if anything will come back um, more driven more dedicated more passionate knowing that you know we've supported them every step of the way through what's undoubtedly been a difficult time for for everybody. Fantastic. I, I'm really, I'm in admiration of that because I see and hear so much of, you know, people just getting picked up and, and dropped off. But I wanted to pick your brains just on, you know, your kind of what I would call maybe entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you know, if I take you back a little bit to, to being 26 and it's a, it's a, you know, a recession and, you know, the first one maybe of, of mine in your time. Did you always have that in you as, as a younger man, kind of through school or was it just something that, you know, you felt right place, right time, I'm going for it? 
there was probably always something there, P perhaps something that you didn't even see yourself. You know, business, business studies were always my preferred subjects. I was always intrigued by how a business ran, um, you know, the, 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 the financial element of that, the, the P&L, you know, uh, how, how does the market operate? Where's the revenue made? So I always had an interest, but that's, I'd be lying if I said that that then drove the decision I made when I was 26, because it didn't, there was an element of naivety in it. You know, I, I was, I probably thought as most 26 year olds do, I know it all, I've seen it all, I've done it all, I, you know, I'm successful. I, I, I should be doing this myself. Um, but that was never really the driving force. I, I, I looked out at the market and, and was slightly disillusioned by the market as a whole. Um, not just the business I was with, the market as a whole. It, it looked to me to be very top heavy with investment and sales. So when I looked at the market and I looked at the businesses in it, all I could see were three times more salespeople than service technicians. And to me, that sat on its head. To me, we're a service industry, we're a service market, you know, the hardware, the technology, yes, it's important, of course it is, but actually what the client's investing in is the trust that comes in that relationship and that partnership and the credibility and, and the expertise of, of their, their service partner. So to me, all the investment, all the focus should be in how you can best provide that service to the client. And was I right? I don't know. You know, was the market top heavy in sales rather than service? I don't know. Um, what I do know is that by having, you know, a laser focus on being the number one service provider and service partner rather than the number one, you know, pound for pound revenue um, seller of hardware, we've got to where we are today. And, and my focus hasn't changed. You know, revenue, sales, yes, is important. You've got to sell to generate revenue and to bring a customer on, of course you do. But actually we're a service business. Before anything else, we're a service business um, and will continue to be so. Brilliant, absolutely fantastic. I, 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 just, I just love the attitude. I love the attitude behind the, essentially what, what workflow is and, and you know, the workflow that, that you've built um, just on service because I, I'm a great believer. I'm actually trying to get someone on who runs a company just called Celebrity Service. Um, and what he says is, you know, I mean, you know that, that, that we run self storage and, and storage for the public um, in my day job at Guardian. And what he says is, you know, if David Beckham was coming to your depot um, to you know, to look to buy some storage space for, you know, whether it was a, a week, a year, a month, it doesn't really matter. What would you do? He says you'd all be a little bit smarter dressed. Probably, perhaps, you know, you would allocate a parking space for David Beckham because he's going to arrive in this car and you're going to speak to him in a certain way. Maybe your paperwork will look a little bit neater. So why don't you just do that for everyone? Why don't you do it for 
Mrs. Smith, who's coming in tomorrow for an appointment. And the whole service industry and providing a service, as you say, rather than concentrating so much on the sales and the marketing, if you deliver the service, then I think that's where a lot of business kind of falls down because the churn rate of the salespeople are then high because they're not getting looked after. And again, if we bring it back to that much bigger picture of everything coming together to make, you know, one workflow, shall we say, then it all just makes sense. Yeah, it's um, finding in, in an industry which has a reputation like the print industry does, and I think in any any industry who's had an episode of Panorama has, you know, has a certain undertone of distrust. Um, bringing salespeople, account managers, you know, business development, whatever you want to call them on board, comes with a significant element of risk and what am I 13 years in now it's taken me 13 years to get the caliber of people that I've got at the moment but not the caliber and their ability to sell their integrity um, their, their honesty their transparency both as business people and just people in general um, I'm very lucky to have it. It's extremely difficult to get them. And to not digress from your point, I hear all the time when, when we're out meeting new clients and they've, they've perhaps had a drop in service or there, there, there's something there which is driving them to speak to the market. You know, I, I, we know we're only small and we're only one printer. You know, and these guys have got customers with hundreds of printers. And my response to that is always the same. You are paying the same on a pro rata basis, perhaps even more than these larger corporate clients are. And actually, regardless, I don't care if you're one device and one user, or you know, you're a thousand person business, which we also support, you all deserve to have the best service, the best service we can provide, um, regardless, and you know, it, it it irritates me when I actually hear that, and it irritates perhaps a, a you know a poor choice of words given that we're hearing it from a potential client. But that client should never be in a position where they feel that their business is too small, or that they don't deserve to receive the highest level of, of service that a business can provide. And it, it, it talks exactly what you say, Mrs. Smith should get exactly the same level of care and attention. Is David Beckham because actually Mrs. Smith might not be Mrs. Smith, she might be Madam Smith with you know 100 UK locations that are going to require some sort of support and service that you don't know about. And whether she's Mrs. Smith or Madam Smith, irrelevant, everybody deserves the best service you can give, absolutely. And just in, in regard to you know. It's if we, you know, we've been kind of taken through the, the, the workflow journey into, you know, starting back then, 26 years old, out into now, you know, being the market leader, making these acquisitions, which are going to kind of, hopefully, fingers crossed, further strengthen your position in that field. But if we take it back to, you know, Michael Field and, and who you are and what else you're involved in, you know, I've seen various articles popped up, you know, we spoke about LinkedIn earlier on LinkedIn, some editorial pieces, you know, outside of, of workflow and everything that you do there, what else are you involved in and what else kind of makes you tick? 
Um, various things. We uh, I started a personal training gym with a friend of mine about five years ago. Um, he's, he's moved on, I'll come to that. But I, Stuart passed his level three personal training exam and it was on Facebook, I think, at the time I seen him. And he and I knew each other to an extent and, you know, we, we, we would chat, we seen each other. Um, and I said, Sarah, do you know what? I'm going to go and do some personal training. I'd always gone to the gym, Tommy, like everybody else. And you know, you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. So you, you think you're doing the right things. Um, I said, right, I'm going to come and do some personal training sessions and very quickly realised actually I didn't know very much about training properly at all. Um, got really into it, learned a lot, loved it, you know, very quickly seen changes that I've never seen before, dropped a lot of weight, became far stronger. But where he worked out of, the atmosphere was just terrible. You, you could... When you walk into a gym, certainly to me, it shouldn't matter how bad your day's been, whatever you've got going on in the background, you know, how stressed, how lethargic you are. The minute you walk in that gym, the atmosphere should be one that you're saying, right, we're in here now, let's go. And the opposite was true where Stuart was. So, you know, you could you could walk up to the front door, absolutely determined, ready for it. You, you were pumped and you'd walk in and that would just get sucked out of you. Um, and I like to call it passion. Some people might call it impulsive. I said to Stuart, look, Stuart, we can do this ourselves. I'll back you. Right? You're not enjoying working here. I'm not enjoying training here. And if I'm not enjoying training here, then there's other people who aren't enjoying training here. Let's go and build something that actually delivers what you and I think it should deliver. Um, six weeks later, facility was up and running in Bathgate. Um, fully kitted, ready to go. We had um, another two PTs join us at the start and work with us and build up the clientele. And, and listen again, no great story, you know, no great light bulb moment where I, I had some idea that, that to me was any more than common sense. Um, I felt that people deserved a certain experience if they were paying for private training. Um, and I looked across the market, and again, there was some great businesses there, but specifically where Stuart was, I didn't feel it was there, and, and, and he and I went out and did it. Um, he's now moved on about 15 yards across the road, and he's opened his Mai Tai gym. But again, he's been able to do that through the experience that he's had with, with Victory, and Scott, who came on as one of the personal trainers, he's stepped up, and he's now you know, a, partner in, a partner in Victory. Um, and we've got plans to grow that. We get some exciting things coming at the other end of lockdown when finally we get to reopen on the 31st of, of August. Um, so again, listen, you know, no, no great master plan, nothing that I don't think anybody could achieve if they genuinely believed in, in what they were trying to do. Um, it wasn't where Stuart was working. Had he have been working somewhere else, it may never have happened. But we, you know, we're, we find ourselves where we find ourselves. Fortunately, we find ourselves at Victory and, you know, we continue to have good fun building it. Yeah, I mean, everything is just coming, well, one, is, it is resonating with me and two, is it's just coming back again, isn't it, to to service, to experience. You know, I, I'm with you uh, and I know Scott very well, actually. He used to play for 
mean, my dad sadly passed kind of over 10 years ago now, but he used to play football at the same time. For, so my, me and my dad were on a football team, and Scott played with us at the same time he was doing all of his taekwondo, you know, and he was going to European yeah, yeah, yeah. championships and, and all of that. And, and Victory's a great little place, you know, and the, the experience of the quality of the equipment there, um, as well as how you're spoken to, your name, your name, not just a number, you know, when you arrive, it's who you are, how was your day, you know, if you've had a bad day, you know, let's get out of you with, with, you know, with heavy deadlifts or, you know, whatever the, whatever class is on. But it just all comes back to, you know, how you feel, isn't it? How you feel in, in those first couple of sessions, you know, with Stuart that, you know, this doesn't feel like it should. I'm paying for a service, and it's not the personal training; it's the issue. But it's the atmosphere and, and the gym surrounding all of that. You know, we were we were we very intentionally called the business Victory Bespoke Fitness because actually, when 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 somebody's investing the sort of money they invest, because it's not cheap. Personal training's not cheap. You know, you, you've got the time of the personal trainer, you've got their expertise that you've got to pay for, you've got the facility, there's a lot involved, you know, so, so there's a cost attached to that. So you deserve for, for that training session, for that hour that you're paying for to be bespoke to you. And that's what we always set out to do. So we invested in, you know, the, the, the right hardware, the right premises, we invested in kitting it, you know, in, in designing it how it should be designed for us to be able to provide a bespoke service to a small number of people at any one time. You know, lots of people out there told me who aren't comfortable in commercial gyms. I see it myself. You get the guys who are, you know, standing in the mirror doing what they do. And, you know, you could be away for 18 months and come back and they're still standing in the mirror doing, doing the same thing with, with no real change. These people are coming <laughs> For, for you to be able to 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 teach them. You know, there's, there's, there's people come in who actually will run a cycle of personal training and who then have the tools to go out and actually continue doing that training themselves. So that they're, they're coming back to us because of that relationship, because of that service. And as I say, listen, if I want to buy a product, Tommy, I'll log on to Google and I'll get the best price I can get for it. I, mean, I could go and buy I could go and buy any product that we supply at workflow you know, as, as a hardware example, I could go online and I could buy it cheaper. So that's, you know, none of this is about product. It's all about service. Um, and, you know, we've got a, a, a great team of regular people who, who, who I see at Victory week in, week out, whether it's personal training or, or, or group sessions. And they all get very attentive personal service from whichever trainer you know, they're, they're, they're kindly paying their, their money to. Um, all, everything I do in business is, is, is service-driven, you know, workflow service-driven, um, victories service-driven. So actually, where, where I've learned to, I suppose, get better is it always improving on the level of, care and, and service that we deliver. It's the only differentiator. See, see when you're supplying a product like we do with print, you know, every business is the same until it comes to service, you know, and, and that relationship and, and the expertise and everything else that comes along with that. Every business is the same until then. And, and that's where they split. And that's where we, we found that we've been able to go at altitude where others have perhaps plateaued um, because that's all we focus on.
Yeah, so very, very true. Um, and is there anything else business-wise that you're involved in? Because I know I've seen a, a couple of charity bits pop up and, and I was going to delve a little bit into that as well, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware that as a human being, I'm, I'm fairly fortunate in, in the position I'm now in. Um, and don't get me wrong, it's come through hard work and, you know, lots of hard work and a little bit of good luck that probably came from hard work. But there's, there's, there's lots of people out there who, for whatever reason, often through no fault of their own, they're not in as fortunate a position as I am. And if I can help them, then I'll help them. Um, simple as that. If there's something I can do to help somebody, if there's anybody listening to that podcast, God help them for listening to me droning on. But if there is and I can help them, all they've ever got to do is pick up the phone or drop me an email. And if I can help them, I will help them. So it started, there's a, there's a local charity called Smile Counselling, um, which is run by a great guy called Declan. Um, they are a, a mental health charity focused on children from 11 up to around 18, perhaps slightly over that now. Um, and they're making a real tangible difference to people's lives. Tommy, they're not talking about it. They're actually out there doing it. They're, they're saving lives and they're saving young lives that can go on to become something else. And they were, they were kind of at the end of their funding cycle. They were at capacity in terms of the number of young people that they could help. There was some uncertainty over the future and their ability to, to continue with many of the counsellors they had. Um, and, you know, reached out to Declan initially by way of an email and said, you know, can I help? And if so, how? Um, he and I got together, chatted over a coffee. You know, we, we, we put a funding package in place, which was, you know, fairly significant, I, I guess, in general terms but it's, it's one we can comfortably make and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really allowed them to extend what would have been a ceiling level for them in terms of numbers that, that they help. They've been able to bring in additional counsellors and yeah, you know, it's, it's quite a nice feeling to know that you're part of that and whilst you're, you know, n none of these people know who I am or what we do or how we're involved in any way, it, 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 it's quite a positive feeling knowing that something you're doing is is changing the life of another in a positive way. Brilliant. I mean, it, it must it must really be, be a nice feeling. One, to, to be able to, you know, do that financially after, through after, you know, years and years of, of hard yards, as I call them, and, and, you know, sheer hard work, as you say, added with a little bit of good fortune and good luck, which I think everybody needs in most yeah. of are happy to admit, you know, right place, right time, all of that sort of thing. But what, what does the future look like for the charity then? Are you going to get more involved on a level or are you happy just to, you know, leave Declan and his team again, you know, going back to, you know, having guys doing what they're good at and just kind of backing it a little bit from afar? These guys will be better at it than I would ever be. Tommy, you know, these, these guys just need the financial su support to reach as many people as they, they can. Um, there, there's, listen, I think everybody should be doing whatever they can to help those in a less fortunate position. 
and those people won't always be in a less fortunate position. But but actually, it could be that support that that changes that their whole outlook and the, the, the whole trajectory that, that they're on. You know, when we got put into lockdown, it's a bit of a you know a bit of a culture shock initially for everybody. Um, you know, I, I've got two kids. We, we've got you know a lovely sized house with a reasonable you know fairly fairly significant you know garden size to it with trampolines which I'll never go on again after break my ankle but you know, <laughs> they were quite quite fortunate in terms of space and I could see how difficult it was on them despite them having all of this space you know and and, and iPads and Netflix and phones and and you know, I got me thinking at the start of lockdown, because it's hard enough for us, it, it, you know, there's, there's people out there who are in, you know, smaller accommodation, perhaps one bedroom flat, with no outside space, you know, that they've got children who um, perhaps, you know, that are, are being supported through the benefit schemes or, um, you know, crisis unit down at West Lothian Council. When I came up with this, this crazy idea of doing a seven days of lockdown cheer, so what we did is we went out to a load of local um, charities and said, look, we'd like to help, we'd like to help one family, an individual, in, in some way each day for, for seven days. Um, the demand was so huge, we actually moved that from seven days of lockdown cheer up to 10. And we did some more out with that, but, but that, that was fine. You know, and we, we did a host of things. We, we, we got, you know, a couple of kids that, I was fortunate to see their reactions. We got them brand new bikes. Um, we got, you know, a, a, a lovely young girl who's got a real passion for photography. Um, but from a financial perspective, family weren't able to, to provide, you know, what she needed to actually really get behind her on that and allow her to take that hobby, perhaps even into a career. So we're able to get her a, a pretty good spec. Um, digital camera, um, is it DS? LR, DSLR rings a bell. We did a lot with the West Loading Crisis Unit. You know, we, 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 we essentially got whole families on bikes. So we got a family of five, as one example, on mountain bikes, those that didn't have bikes. So all of a sudden, you know, these families and these kids who were felt very claustrophobic and, you know, very confined in, in what they could do, were suddenly able to go out and, and, and do this daily part of exercise which, you know, otherwise they either wouldn't have done or it would have been very limited because they didn't really have anything to do it with. Um, so, you know, we, we were able to, I, I guess, make life slightly better and slightly easier for people who would have been more hit by the COVID lockdown than, than I was. Um, everybody should everybody should be helping people where they can. So, I mean, I don't keep saying it, mate, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm starting to repeat myself, but... Um, you know, I, I was fortunate and I'm fortunate enough to be able to help. And if I can help, then there's no reason I shouldn't. Brilliant. What a, what a fantastic mantra. Um, you know, and I might even kind of title this, this podcast somewhere along the line of, you know, if you can help someone, you should. Because you're right, there are so many less fortunate. And a lot of the time, it is through no fault of their own. And, you know when we come out and, and we're not anywhere by any stretch of the imagination out the woods just yet. But but we are kinda of in a, a post COVID era or, you know, a, a post 
with lockdown era where we're all trying to, to live with this virus and, and people are losing jobs, you know, and, and families maybe losing homes. And if you can give, you know, even just something to someone, I've always said from this podcast, it's, it's just a passion project for me. I love speaking to people. I called it selfish and someone actually said it was selfless, but I, I love just taking snippets of people and minds such as yourself. And if I can take something away from it and then the audience can take something away from it, perhaps maybe that's the thing that you should take away is if you can give, you know, then you should give one for, for the feeling it'll give you, but what that can offer or give to, you know, just that one person and it might just be their absolute time of need that I, I think is unrivaled in terms of, you know, what you can give back to the world. And it, and it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a, a sort of physical commercialised item. It can be your time, it can be your advice, your, your, your guidance. I got, a, I got a great message actually, I'm, I'm on Facebook now, but when it was on it, from a, a guy I used to go to school with. Um, and he'd read some of the articles on, on Facebook and LinkedIn, wherever it was. And he said, look, I just wanted to say, well done. He said, well done for do, doing so well, having been educated in a school where you were, um, what was the words he used? You were encouraged to be mediocre. And actually, you know, I'd never seen it like that back then. But when I was at school, there, there never seemed to be any direction, if that makes sense. There was never anybody you could look to who could actually help you to, to see the world as it was and, and, and what opportunities were out there and perhaps where you could fit into that and, you know, where you could use the talents that you clearly have in school, you know, and, and, and use them to, to, to drive a career and better yourself and, and, and open up opportunities that would never have been there. And, I, and it, you know, it got me thinking. Um, one of the charities we helped is involved, you know, part of a, a local high school and we discussed perhaps even going in and, or, or they asked, it wasn't, it wasn't me being... Um, ignorant and arrogant and telling them I should come in and do a talk but they said it might be quite helpful if we invited you in just to do some, some talk for people just in your story you know the fact that again local guy grew up in Deadridge, went to a local school you know but just that determination to, to keep at something to believe in what you're doing to deliver on your promises you know could make a real difference and you know listen if, 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 you, can, if you can help you can give guidance and, and people just need a bit of advice, you know, a bit of experience that perhaps we have that they don't have. It's a small, it, it, it's something small to give that can lead to something much bigger, isn't it? It absolutely is. And for the future then, you know, kind of outside of, of the businesses that you're involved in and, and the businesses that you're continuing to, to push and to grow and to, you know, new markets and keep going, is that something that, that Michael Field would look to in the future in terms of, you know, some sort of, of mentorship? I mean, I, I'm so keen on, on mentors and, and what I've always kind of lived my life by is, you know, rather than me maybe going down and, and looking and studying and trying to go through something that may take five to ten years, if I can go and get someone, and it's much like you, you know, making the, the shrewd acquisitions and bringing someone in who knows the, the digital document market better than you do, and then putting it together. If I can work with someone or, or under someone or, or spend time with someone and spend, you know, financial commitments, I've invested quite a lot in my own personal development and, you know, even in speech therapy, it's not something a lot of people know, but in order to do this, um, 
I work with someone who runs a company called Make Yourself Heard, and it's just so that I can pronounce my words a little bit better and try and come across a little bit stronger in my speaking. But is that something that, that you would consider kind of further down the line in the future? Nobody's ever asked me, so I've, I've, I've never had to say yes or no. Um, if, somebody, if somebody asked me for help and, and asked me for mentoring, to use the term you use, I'd be very happy to, to, to give them all the help I could based on my experience. Um, you know, I can only talk about what I've done, why I've done it, how I've done it, you know, the reasoning behind it, why we're focused in the areas that we have. And if that could help somebody else, it's a conversation I'd have any time they wanted to have it. Um, and, you know, you, you, you've got to be very careful at how you look at these things, because often people seem quite narcissistic. See the amount of nonsense I see, in, you know, on LinkedIn from life coaches and business gurus and, you know, all, all sorts of different terms to mean the same thing, who are, you know, and, and, and they're charging for their services. Um, that doesn't interest me. You know, I'm not interested in going out and trying to sell my story and, you know, charge people a fee for me to tell them what's been fairly fundamental and, you know, some good, some bad decisions I've made along the way. But if, if, if somebody came to me and asked me for a bit of help and a bit of guidance and some sort of mentoring, then why wouldn't I? Brilliant. I think, you know, for, for takeaways from this podcast is, is, you know, I think that will be the key takeaways is the one if you can help someone, you should. And just, you know, the level of service that, that differentiates maybe workflow from, from the rest of that market is simply based on service, based on, you know, even back to, to victory, the, the feel of the place, the look of the place, and again, just delivering on a service. And, and I think you had the nail on the head just a couple of minutes ago when you said, you know, delivering on your promises. If you're promising a service, carrying it through, if you can help someone, and you can, you know, you can commit to that help, then again, follow that through and, and give the help and give the commitment. There are so many intangibles in business. You can't control what your competitors do. You can't control, you know, the, the financial circumstances which are often forced upon us, like we have been at COVID. You know, you can't control what people say. Um, what people do out with your organisation. The only tangible is the service that you can provide. You are in absolute and full control of that as a business owner or as a principal of a business or as an employee. So do that the very best you can because it's the only thing that you can control from start to finish is the, the, the service that you provide and you know, the, the, the backing of promises that you make um, as part of that service offering. Brilliant. I think, Michael, what a place to finish there. Um, and just to kind of finish up, once we are able, I know we kind of half far, but once you have time, I would absolutely adore to, to grab maybe a coffee with you and just pick your brain some more. Absolutely. Um, like, let's make a point of doing that when things get even even more back to normal than they are at the moment. And listen, best of luck with your remaining podcasts, mate. Nothing but 
good good positive vibes for you and going out and doing it. It's great to see you've taken something you enjoy doing, you've grabbed it with both hands and, and you're out doing it now. All right. Thank you very much, Michael, and thank you very much for making the time. Take care. All right, Tommy. Ta-ra, mate. Bye-bye. Thanks, Michael. Bye-bye. Oh,